If you would open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. This is God's Word. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your word. We ask this morning that you would use it mightily to draw men and women to yourself. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is an incredibly powerful passage of scripture, and I want us to, I want to kind of look at several things as we begin to look at this. And there are a variety of things in this passage that I will not look at today. So if you walk away saying, wow, I saw more than what Dennis talked about today, that's good. Excellent. Um, I hope you do. I hope you see how rich this passage is. But I want us to look at some very specific things that are clearly in this passage. And as we do, I want us to think about this. All of Genesis has been bringing us to this point. From Genesis chapter 1 through 11 has been drawing us to this place. And we need to understand that. There's, there's a sense in which what we want to understand is as Moses began to write the book of Genesis to give the people of Israel who had come out of Egypt a remembrance of their history to understand how they got to where they were. Remember, their father was Abraham. That's who they talk about. Our father, Abraham. And so we see that Genesis 1 through 11 is getting us to Abraham. That's not to say that Genesis 1 through 11 is irrelevant or it's not really all that important. It's just that if you were to look structurally, even literarily, at the book of Genesis, you would see this playing out continuously drawing you to the place where you come to Abraham. The structure of the way the first 11 books are laid out are leading us. Adam all the way through to Noah, Noah all the way through, and you see how the genealogies are working, and you can do that for fun sometime and just see how God in his wisdom laid out the book of Genesis, drawing us to this place where we look at and see that God is going to do something amazing with Abraham. Now, saying that, there's a lot of us that as we start to look at the life of Abraham, we can start to say, oh, well, what can we learn from Abraham? And how is Abraham's life this and that and the other? And there is much to be gleaned from Abraham. I don't want to suggest that that's not. But the big point of Genesis is the God of Abraham, not Abraham. And so as we begin to look at the life of Abraham, what we want to begin to see is Abraham's God. We want to see how the God of Abraham showed himself 
and worked in the person of Abraham, who was no unflawed character, but rather is a flawed man, was an idolater. The book of Joshua tells us before God called him out of idolatry, worshiping the moon gods. So I want us to keep that in perspective, that this is not a book that says, let's elevate Abraham and let's be Abraham's. It's rather, let us elevate God and be followers of God like Abraham. And so I want us to see that and understand that as part of this. The last thing I want us to see in this and what we need to see all the way through Genesis as we look through the rest of the Bible is, is that Genesis is a book about mission. God is on a mission. And here's the great theme of Genesis. God is on a mission and nothing can stop him. And that's really important for us to see this, that from Genesis 1, God has created the world and given it to man so that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. He's on a mission. Man keeps failing, but God does not. And that's what we need to see as we move through this, is that God is on a mission. His heart is missional. He is desiring to see People say that they might once again return to what they were made for. And that is giving glory and worship to the one true God. So I want us to look at three things this morning out of this passage. The first one is the Lord's calling. I want you to notice what happens here in this passage. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, and actually the, the language actually says, now the Lord had said to Abram. And the idea here is the Lord had called Abraham earlier. And we know if you went back to the end of Genesis chapter 11 that Terah, Abram's, fa- Abram's father, brought him so, to a, a different place out of Ur of the Chaldees, but they settled there, and they did not go any further until after Terah's death. But the point of the Genesis 12 is to once again take up and say, God had not called them just to go thus far. He was calling them all the way from Haran and from Ur into the land that God was going to show them. And so in some ways, when we see the Lord's calling, we, we're looking at this passage, we see the Lord calls. We're also seeing this kind of ebbing and, and moving gently forward towards the goal. But what we don't see in Abram is this, he just gets up and he walks straight towards the land of Canaan. What we see in the Lord's calling here is, is that it, 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 Abram sort of gets to it over a period of time. Now that's interesting because as we watch the life of Abram, we're going to see that in some ways that begins to change. But we see here the the difficulties, and I want you to look at the Lord's calling, that Abram is no different than many of us. When the Lord calls us, we go, well, my parents, well, my friends, well, my occupation, well, my, well, my... And I want us to understand that we all have those type of things that are affecting all of us as we're called. The Lord calls. And what I want you to see is two things. Not that you should take from this, oh, well, when the Lord calls me, I can kind of take my sweet time about answering him. That's not my answer. It's more to see the compassion of God. And when he calls a person, he is relentless in drawing them to the place that he's called them. God doesn't just call Abram and say, well, he didn't come. He remains the God who is committed to calling Abram to the land of Canaan, which should begin to give people in this room hope 
that even when we stumble, even when we commit ourselves to things, even when we don't see things all the way to their conclusion immediately, that God is not a God who gives up on us. That those whom God calls, He is determined to see all the way through, right? For those of us that know Romans, we kind of start to see that those whom He called, He justified, He sanctified, He's going to glorify. God is committed to His people when He calls them. He doesn't just call them and say, well, they didn't do what they were supposed to do immediately, so that's it. And I think that's incredibly comforting and an amazing reality that we see in this passage. But the other thing I want us to see is is God's calling as well, because notice what God's calling calls Abram to. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Now, for many of us, I want you to understand that ties, especially in the Middle Eastern world, to kin was paramount. I mean, family was everything. Who your daddy was was most important. Now, I don't know how things always operate out here in in the wild, wild west where frontierism and individualism are loved, but from the south where I'm from, I could say this, that who your daddy is matters a lot. It mattered a whole lot what family you're from. And people would say, now, Dennis, that, that name isn't a normal southern last name, Hermadine. Now, who is your father, and what does he do, and where is he from? See, those things mattered. And among some people back there, it even gets down to, you know, you have generations of people who moms have been in the same sorority and dads have been in the same fraternity for years. I mean, generations back. This, this heritage some of us have grown up in, in church situations where we've generationally been blessed to be in a, with a certain denominational affiliation for years, generation upon generation. We see these type of associations, and to leave them are incredible. Again, my family's been Lutheran since Luther, but I'm a Presbyterian. And that was no small undoing in my family's home when my mom left the Lutheran church. You'd have thought that she killed one of the patriarchs of the family. So what I want us to understand is this, if you get, can get that kind of link in your mind, I want you to understand when God calls Abram to leave his place, his people, everything about him, his security, and move to a place that the Lord would show him. That's not how it usually operates, is it? Okay, if we're going to move, we need to go there. We need to see where that place is. We need to make sure they've got all the things that are necessary for the way we live. What's the economy like? What's the home like? Make sure i got a job. Make sure i got all these things settled up. I want you to think about this too. God calls Abram, a city dweller, to go be a country boy. To go be a nomad. To go be a sheep herder. He was called out of a city. Now, I want us to think about all those things and think about how powerful that is of what God is saying to Abram. He's really saying to him, Abram, I want you to separate yourself from everything that you have known and to trust only me. That's what God's calling looks like. Now, That may not mean God calls you to move from the place you grew up. It may not mean that he calls you to move away from your family. It may not mean that he he does any of those kind of things like he did to Abram, but the call still remains the same. When God calls a person, 
He calls them to show allegiance to Him first and foremost. Even to that most wonderful of associations, your family. Jesus said words like this, If you love father, mother, sister, brother, husband, wife more than me, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Why would... God say such a thing? Why would Jesus say such a thing? It's because there's the ever luring reality that we turn good things into the ultimate thing. You see, that's really what's going on here. God is calling Abram away from good things, family, security of, of being in a, in a place, permanence, so that he would see, I, God, am your security. I, God, am your family. I am the Lord who is your treasure. And all these other things pale in comparison to me. And see, that's always the danger, men and women, is that we will take good things and turn them into the ultimate thing. That we will bow down to something that was made to bless us, that is a blessing from God, as we're looking at the Lord of blessing, it's a blessing, but we turn it into God himself. And so God calls Abram away. Now clearly he calls him away from idolatry in the sense of worshiping the moon. But what I want you to see is that all these things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. They've just been turned into something that they were never made to be. The moon is a wonderful thing. It's not a God. Family is a wonderful thing. It's not our God. The place where we grew up is a wonderful thing. It's not our God. And this building and other things around us that we may think this is what gives us identity and purpose. No, it's not. It's God. So, the people of God are called that for a reason. They're called the people of God because that is where their allegiance, their hope, their surety, their security lies. And wherever God calls them, that's where people are delighted to go because their hope rests in the God who has called them. Now, the other thing I want us to notice then is that he's also called to be united, right? He's called to come and gather together here in this place. He does bring with him certain people, and we begin to see Abram unite himself. These people, this group of people becomes for him the new fellowship that God has called him into. And I want you to notice this, that God calls individual people into a family. He never calls individuals into being individualistic. He calls individuals into the church, into the people of God to be united, to be gathering together for a common purpose, for a common cause, for a common way of thinking. So I want you to think about this as, as you consider what Abram is being called. He's being called to think in a different way than he's thought before, but not for the purpose of just being a separatist. It's for the point of drawing people to see once again how far they've come away from God. This is what we were made for. We were made for this God by this God. 
And so that he begins to gather people to unite around that common theme. See, we're called out to show forth to the world what we were made for, the possibilities of what we could be, to use our gifts and time and talent to promote goodness and beauty and truth to a world that desperately needs to see those things. So we see this separate and united reality that's going on with Abram here as the Lord calls him. Now the second thing I want us to look at, then the second point this morning is, I want us to look at the Lord's promises. Look at what the Lord promises to Abram. He says, number one, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. What I want us to think about then in the Lord's promises is that the Lord promises Abram a place. I'm going to take you to a place. Don't worry, Abram. You just keep your eyes on me and I'll give you a place. You're not just going to always be a wanderer. And that's powerful. Now the thing that we often want to look at is we get so captivated by the place being something we can get our hands onto and be tangible that we miss the whole point that the writer of Hebrews tells us was going on here. That ultimately the part of what God is teaching Abram is, is that the place I will take you to, the place I will show you, is a city that is not made with human hands. And a land that I construct. And while he certainly gives Abram a geographical point on planet Earth, the point is not to get wrapped up in that geographical point. The point is to get wrapped up in that God is providing His people a place. A place. And so what we need to think about as we look at this is the reality that Abram is supposed to be trusting the Lord to give him a place. And this is not unnatural, men and women, right? We all want a place. We all want something to call our own. People who are homeless or, or people who've grown up in a rather impoverished state all their lives, oftentimes you'll hear them talking like this, well, I stay here. I stay there. And what, what you're hearing from them is they really don't sense that they have a place. They're just staying somewhere. Most of us who've been blessed to, to live in a, a home that had some security and stability and some reasonable economic stability as well, we often talk about where we live. Even if we live in an apartment, we say, well, I live at such and such a place. So what I want you to understand is, is that when God begins to speak to Abram, He's not speaking like some deity that doesn't understand how human beings operate. He made us. And he shows his connection with us by saying, Abram, it's a good thing to have a place. Don't worry. If you follow me, I will give you a place. He also gives him this sense that he will give him permanence. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. The idea there of making your name great is this understanding of, we talked about this even last week as we looked at the people at Babel, who wanted to make their name great. Notice now we come back and God says, their desire to have their name be remembered 
is not in and of itself necessarily bad, but the whole way they were trying to go about it was man-centered and not God-centered. Now God comes to Abram and says, I will make your name great. I will let your name be remembered. See, and isn't that a powerful thing? Because many of us, even as Christians, we want to be remembered. We want to feel like our life mattered. We want to feel like whatever we did had some kind of meaning and worth. That we didn't just go through this life and just, you know, sunrise, sunset. And that's all there is to be said. And do you understand that God understands that? I will make your name matter. Abram, whether anyone else remembers you or not, here's what's important. I remember you. And men and women, see, once again, we have to have our value system being restructured because who is it that we really value their opinion of us the most? Our spouses, our bosses, our children, our friends, our parents. Whose opinion really matters the most? Who is it when we think, I want to be remembered by whom? And do you see what Abram is being told here? Abram, don't you worry. As you follow me, I will remember you and you will be remembered. See, there's something in our culture, right? We always talk about this. If you listen to how a lot of movies end, well, that person's not really gone as long as you remember them in your heart. You see, while that's kind of naive and doesn't really get to the point, the substance, don't you hear the cry of the human heart, this deep desire to be remembered, to be known, to be cared about, to matter? And you see how Abram is being told by God, the Lord promises to remember you. I've got a place for you. I've got a sense of permanence for you. Don't worry. The other thing is that God's showing here that He has an inheritance planned for Abram. I'm taking you to a place. I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to have a heritage that's going to go on after you. That's something that matters to many of us, doesn't it? I mean, we hear all the time from our politicians, you know, we all want to grow up and leave this a, a better place for our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. I mean, it's all over the place, and we agree with that, don't we? We want to see our children cared for and, and moving forward and, and better off as much as we're able to do it and so that the next generation and the next generation, we see this proliferation of God's people going forth, able to do the things that God has called them to. There's this sense, and we see here that what God is telling Abram is, don't stress out about your future. I've got your future, your inheritance, your heritage under control. You just follow me. Let me be first and preeminent in your life, and everything else will flow from that. It sort of sounds like something Jesus said, doesn't it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and all these other things will be added unto you. And so we see here that same understanding of the God of Genesis who was most profoundly revealed by Jesus telling us that same message. I am the one who is most important. And if you will keep me focused and, 
and foremost in your mind, everything else that you're concerned about will fall into place. Again, many of the things that our hearts are deep within our hearts that we, we desire are not necessarily bad things. We just have a tendency to make them the ultimate thing. And so we see that God is addressing those issues. The final thing I want you to see is the Lord's purpose. Look what the Lord says. And I will curse you, or excuse me, and I, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we see this idea that what the Lord, as I said before, is on is he's on a mission. Do you see the mission? Do you see in that text that God's on a mission? I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Do you see even the issue of security being addressed in this passage? Those who come after you, those who want to bring you down and low, stay on the mission. Don't lose track of what we're really being called to do here. The mission to go out and be a blessing. See, too often as Christians, men and women, we tend to just become the people who want to sit around and talk about, well, we're blessed ones. Blessed for what? Blessing never comes to people so that they can sit there and hoard it for themselves. Blessing comes so that we can be dispensers of blessings. God has blessed us so that we can go out and bless others. The love of Christ has been poured out into our hearts so that we can go out and love others. The whole point of this passage is showing us that God called Abram one man to bless the entirety of humanity. So you start to see a subtle thing in Scripture that the one and the many begins to get addressed here. There's one to bless the many. And see, that theme gets picked up in the New Testament, doesn't it? By one man's act of disobedience, the whole of humanity was plunged into sin and despair. And by one man's act of obedience, many will come to salvation. You see, what is really going on here is that God is calling Abram. He is making promises to Abram. And He has a purpose for Abram And that is His purpose, God's purpose. He's using this man to display the greater one who's coming. One who is greater than Abram. One who is greater than Abraham. And that is Jesus. We see here that the way all the nations will ultimately be blessed is that the reality that Genesis has been telling us from the very beginning, that man has sinned and that God must act because man can't save himself. Once again, here God pulls out Abram, and through this line of Abram's line came the person of Jesus. That's what the genealogy in Matthew is for. That's what the genealogy in Luke is for, is to show you that God began from the beginning to bring all of history to a point where the person and work of Jesus would, be, would come into reality, that human beings might turn away from things which aren't the ultimate thing, And once again be enraptured by the God who cares for them and watches over them and delights in them and wants to draw them to himself. Now in conclusion, I want us to think about this. 
We can think about this in one sense and think, well, that's great. That's great, Dennis. You know, that's a good message for the called people in this room. But I want you to listen to me. There may be someone in this room this morning that you're here. And I don't know why you're here. And maybe you don't know why you're here. But the fact that you showed up meant that you right now are having the privilege of hearing God call you. Come. Come to me. Turn away from these things which do not satisfy to the only one who truly can satisfy the longings of your soul. Wine, women, and song only go so far. Success only gets you so far. All those things only get you so far. And still, there's that hole that you just can't fill. And what we see today is that God is calling people to come and see the one, to see that that hole in your heart only has one thing that can fill it, and that is God. Because that's what was made to fill it. You can't put anything else in it. It will not satisfy. It will not complete you. It's only the Lord. The second thing I want us to look at is we need to hear and to believe that the Lord desires to bless us. I really believe we don't really believe that. That's why so often we are so frustrated. I, as your pastor, get frustrated about things because I really lose sight of it. And I can always tell when I start to get frustrated or aggravated or irritated about life, I can always start to find the root of it. Is that I've forgotten that there is nothing happening to me that is not under the careful, watchful eyes of a God who has made promises to bless me as one of His children. The New Testament tells us that Jesus came and in Him are all the blessings, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are poured out on us if we know Jesus. And we as believers have to believe that. If we are ever going to be a blessing to other people, we have to become people who really believe that God is fulfilling His promises to us, that He is blessing us, that He is caring for us, that He is watching over us. That our security, our safety, and our salvation are never, ever in jeopardy, no matter how precarious the circumstances look. See, we have to once again get the eyes of faith in our heads and not the eyes of ourselves. It's looking and seeing God is at work in our midst. He has not abandoned us. He has not failed us. And we have to be people who believe that. The third thing then is, is that if we can start to get hold of that, we then become people who want to go out and share it. See, if you really do believe, do you see how what God has done for me? I know what I am. I know where I've been. I know where I've come. And I see other people around me who are struggling with the same things I'm struggling with. And what's the, been the answer? The answer has been knowing Jesus. The answer has been coming and submitting myself to Jesus. And the more I've been able to do that, by the working of God's Spirit, the more I've been able to live as I was intended to live. Content. Unafraid. Unashamed. And as those things begin to happen to me, don't I want that for other people? Don't I want other people who are ashamed, who are guilt-ridden to be freed from that? Don't I want people who are weighed down with worry and burdens of this life to be set free? Don't I want people who are entrapped and enslaved living a life that they were intended for something better 
don't I want them to know the truth? Then how can I sit back and say, well, I'm blessed and not move forward on the mission that God's on to, for us to be a blessing? The final thing I want to say is it ought to astound us every day. It ought to. It doesn't always, but it ought, ought to astound us. And I want it to astound this group of people. I want us to make a commitment this week to every morning get up and say to ourselves, today, the God of the universe has delighted to use this sinful person to bless other people because He's been delighted to bless me. I've been blessed to be a blessing. And God hasn't just said, I'm going to go bless them despite you. He said, I'm going to, I've invited you to go be a blessing with me. Let's go bless other people. Let's go show them how awesome and great life can really be if people will come and know the one true God. That's why we're here, men and women. That's why we've been blessed. So that we can be a blessing to God and a blessing to others. May God make that so in the midst of this people. Amen.